continue with key point number two. Key point number two is this. We must be on the lookout concerning God's purposes for such a time as this. We must be on the lookout concerning God's purposes for such a time as this. Let's look at verse 1 through 14 of chapter 4. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So what do we see happening? The word had gotten out that come the 13th of Adar, the 12th month, they're going to be annihilated. Every single province, they're going to start gathering them together. They're going to, they're going to gather, and there's going to be a massive slaughter, an annihilation of an entire people group on one day. So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. In other words, get this, Esther didn't know. She didn't know about this decree that had gone out to annihilate the Jewish people. In fact, she heard that Mordecai is wearing sackcloth, and she was like, well, send him some new clothes. Send him something else to wear. And then he refused them. Why? To send a message back to her. To let her know that, no, I'm going to continue to mourn. And then she's, now she's intrigued. Now she wants to know why. What's going on? So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in the front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay in the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. And he also gave him a copy of the written decree for the destruction, which was given in Shushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her. And that he might command her to go in to the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. So Hathak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. So now Esther's gotten word. Now she hears why. Verse 10, then Esther spoke to Hathak and, got, and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and the, the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law. Put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. You see what's happening? She's saying, look, you tell him, if I go, <laughs> if I go in there unsummoned without the king's request, then... 
I'm, ta- I'm taking the risk of my, of my head. I mean, he could have me killed. That's one law. You don't go before the king unless the king asks you to come. We ran into the same thing back with Daniel. We ran into the same thing with Ezra. We ran into the same thing with Nehemiah, right? They couldn't just go before the king and just whatever, with whatever was on their mind. They had to wait until the king inquired. They wait until the king asked for them. And then to add to that, Esther says, look, a whole month has passed and he hasn't even asked for me. 30 days has gone by. He's not even asked for me. Now consider the contrast here between Queen Vashti and Queen Esther. Queen Vashti was deposed because she refused to enter the king's presence at his request. And now King Esther risked death for entering the king's presence without his request. Hmm. Let's pick back up verse 13. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do not think in your heart that you're going to escape the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. For those who believe, and there, there are a handful of people who believe that the book of Esther should not be in the Bible, and they'd say that because the name God is not mentioned. Unfortunately, they are missing the significance of God's fingerprints throughout this book. When Mordecai says here, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, what's he, what's he acknowledging? He's acknowledging, hey, look, Esther, I, I, want you to, I want you to understand. If you don't do this, God's still going to be faithful to his promise. He's still, we're, there's still some, God is going to do something. And even though he doesn't use the name God, it's implied here. He's saying, look, God is going to take care of us. God is going to see us through. God is going to make sure that we are. Now, here's the question, Esther. If you're not part of that, if you don't have faith in the promises of God, then your family is at risk. You and your descendants. Because relief and deliverance are going to arise for the Jews one way or the other. So Esther had a choice, and so do we. If you and I refuse to obey God, then God can get somebody else to do the job. However, we would lose any reward or blessing that might come from our obedience. I I could probably spend a ton of time sharing with you example after example of divine appointments that I've had. Because of lack of time, let me just share quickly one. I have, um, some of you know that I, I picked up a, a, like this little side gig of driving for Lyft, you know, to make ends meet and, you know, to allow us to continue to do church planting. And one of the things that I've been doing for Lyft is I recognize that every now and then I have an opportunity to share the gospel with people and talk with people. In fact, get this, I have one divine appointment where a guy from New Jersey and you know, I, I took him to the airport, and we talked, and turns out he was a church planter. And I, I, I told him where I was at and what I was doing. And then about a month or two later, get this, I get an envelope in the mail from New Jersey. And I'm like, who is this? What is this? 
I open it up, and it was a check to Grace Point Church from this guy that I just picked up and took him to the airport. And this letter inside is saying, hey, we, we thank you, appreciate what you're doing, and had a great conversation. We want to support what Grace Point's doing. There's another guy I picked up at the airport. I want to call him Andrew, so I will. Andrew, uh, Andrew got in my car at the airport, and we had about a 20-minute ride. And the first thing that he said to me when he got in the back seat, I mean, I'm barely confirming where we're headed, and we're on our way out of the parking, you know, parking area there of, at, at uh, the airport. And he asked me this question. He says, have you ever wondered whether or not God really exists? That's the first thing he said to me. You ever wonder whether or not God really exists? I said, well, Andrew, not only have I asked that question, I've devoted my entire life to helping people answer that question. And yes, I know without a doubt that God really exists. And let me tell you why. When we got to his destination, most people are just ready to get out of the car and I'm on to the next stop. But we stopped at the, his destination and we continued this conversation and it became apparent that he was ready to accept Christ. And I told him, I said, you know, you don't have to wait until Sunday. You don't have to wait until you're in a church building. You don't have to wait until you're sitting on a pew waiting for an invitation that you can accept Christ even in the back seat of a lift car. Would you like to do that? And he said, that's exactly what I want to do. And I led it to Christ, and he accepted Christ right there in the back of my vehicle on his way through a lift ride. Are there such things as such a time as this? Yes. Could we miss them? Yes. Could we miss God's blessing? Yes. Look, I'm so thankful that I had that opportunity to lead him to Christ. I'm so thankful for the opportunities I've had to share the gospel with many people. Well, let's wrap up with key point number three. We must choose to do what is right, even in the face of uncertainty. Let's pick up verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Go. Gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. So how should we understand Esther's words here? And if I perish, I perish. It really is one of those phrases that it's the glass half empty, glass half full uh, approach. Are these words of an unbelieving resignation? Is she saying, okay, you've talked me into it, I'll do it even if it kills me? That's the pessimistic way of, of looking at it, right? Or perhaps more appropriately, she was trusting the Lord and she was giving a trusting resolution. Okay, I'm going to submit to the will of God whatever the cost. I think that's the way to take it. I think that was her, her intent. But understand this, from a purely human point of view, everything was stacked against her. The law was against her. Don't interrupt the king. 
If you do, death is certain. The decree was against her. All the Jews were to be slain on the 13th day of Adar. Her gender was against her. Women were viewed as objects and were certainly not respected for their opinions. The officers were against her. They were loyal to the king and his leadership. However, you and I know Romans 8, 31, but declares that if God be for us, who can be against us? Our faith must be equal to or greater than the task which God has called us. A small task may require but a little faith, and a larger task will require greater faith. I've never had this more apparent in my own life than that of church planting. I have talked with Cheryl about this when we first ventured out and said, okay, God, this is what we're called to do. And every step along the way, we've talked about this idea that, you know what? The, the, the task of planting a church requires faith that matches the enormity of that task. I want to challenge you for your faith to be equal or greater than the task that God has called you to. One last thought, and then we're going to pray together, and then we'll continue in our worship. God has a plan for the expansion of his kingdom through Christian mission. Just as he had a role for the remnant and the diaspora, he has a role for you. Let's pray.